This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Scott Bertram. We're joined now by Dr. Margarita Mooney Suarez. She's Associate Professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, Executive Director at the Scala Foundation, which you can find more at scalafoundation.org. Her most recent book is The Love of Learning, Seven Dialogues on the Liberal Arts. She is here on Hillsdale College's campus to deliver a pair of lectures Dr. Mooney Suarez, thanks so much for joining us. It is a pleasure to be at Hillsdale College where the students I have met with have already told me inspiring things like, this is a great time to be alive and I've never regretted my decision to come to Hillsdale and I can't wait for what's next. <laughs> I love that energy. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I want to ask first about the, the Scala Foundation because people might not be familiar. Uh, it says right here on the, on the paperwork, Educating for Beauty and Wisdom. What is the Scala Foundation? Um, and how are you involved in it? What is it? What is it, the mission? I founded Scala in 2016 because as a professor, I realized that students had really lost the love of learning. And I realized that the mission of higher education in so many institutions where I've been privileged to be a faculty member is no longer communicated in a hopeful, joyful way to students. So Scala promotes classical liberal arts education with a keen emphasis on beauty and the integration of beauty and truth and goodness, which then opens us up to an understanding of experiential education that's not sentimentalist, but profoundly human, and I would say integral humanist form of education that I think is badly needed today because of the trends that I have seen as a professor, where we have an increasing amount of psychological fragility among students paired with a strong agenda of a woke version of social justice, which for me remains at the level, at the superficial level, and actually ends up feeding more into the loss of meaning that so many students are experiencing and is exhibited in the psychological fragility and breakdown we see of so many highly educated students. We talk a lot here on Hillsdale's campus about finding the good, the true, and the beautiful. You've mentioned beauty already a handful of times and talking about the Scala Foundation. I wonder if that's a concept that perhaps is uh, the toughest of the three for people to understand. The good, yes. The true, yes. What is beauty in education? Beauty is one of, it's a transcendental property in the sense that Beauty is an experience of something we might see in nature, but that points to something beyond, right? Beauty arrests our attention. And that's why actually beauty is the beginning of learning, because the beginning of learning isn't domination. It's attentiveness to all of reality. Beauty also then, perhaps with a lowercase b, means the fine arts. It Mm -hmm. means a painting. It means music. It means a riveting story. Now, of course, the fine arts, as I've just described them, should be a part of a classical liberal arts education. But to the extent that so much of education, sometimes, frankly, even classical education, is trying to compete for things that can be measured in a certain way or produce a certain kind of future job, frankly, beauty with a small b has been left out. Mm -hmm. And therefore, beauty with a capital B as a transcendental property, as an aspiration, as a as a sign of divine, of the divine existence in the world has gotten lost. And that's why I think we're not producing students that have creativity, that have wonder, 
and that are willing to be a protagonist in the future of this, it is a great time to be alive, which means I don't know what's coming in the next 10 years was the student's next sentence. Mm -hmm. But I'm here to embrace that challenge and take that risk because I know at the end of my journey, I will find something beautiful. What's your educational background? Did you have this, uh, this drive, this passion when you were a student? How did you find this passion for education? I studied my undergraduate degree in psychology at Yale University. I also took a lot of humanities classes uh, because I loved history and literature, but I wanted the scientific element of psychology. Then I got a PhD in sociology at Princeton University, but an important part of my education were the three years I spent in between Yale and Princeton, where I worked for a former president of Costa Rica, Oscar Arias, who had won a Nobel Peace Prize, and I did field work amongst former combatants of the civil wars in El Salvador, Nicaragua, and Guatemala. And I saw firsthand how hard it is to break the cycle of violence that broke out through this major geopolitical conflict that engulfed Central America in the 1980s. I'm only now reflecting on that. I have a story coming out in Plow magazine where I reflect on a weekend I spent with a bunch of ex-contras. And it's reflection on uh, two days in my life where I'm surrounded by ex-contros with machine guns and bottles of rum and how I almost got kidnapped but managed to make it out alive but saw firsthand how difficult it is to break the cycle of violence and yet how many people on the ground are willing to lay down their swords for plowshares and how the power of humility often women humble women not educated women with faith in God are sowing the soil and plotting things in the ground and willing to forgive these horrific acts of violence. So seeing the best and the worst of human nature. I also feel that I was educated, or my questions were aroused by my first trip to my mother's homeland of Cuba. I went in 1994, I subsequently went seven more times. Hmm. And Cuba did not have the insecurity of Central America, but it was a prison. Um, and I realized that you don't respond to the anarchy of violence by creating a giant prison. And so although I was in psychology and sociology, I realized that I needed to go beyond what I was learning to try to reach the justice types of questions that I, I am passionate about. And what I don't see in our discussions about justice today in so many circles is a frank acknowledgement of the failures of political violence and communist revolution to solve these deep-seated human problems. And so I want to promote a vision of education that absolutely cares about the practical and the political and the justice, but that is more in tune with what I saw in the hearts of people I met in Cuba and in Nicaragua, where they also desire a divine presence that gives the grace to help people forgive and lay down their arms, mm -hmm. and that the political is ultimately subjected to a divine order that is beyond us, that is transcendental. So I come back to that word transcendence, right? Truth with a capital T, beauty with a capital B, goodness with a capital G. These are properties of an objective reality to which we are ultimately responsible. And we need to form people, as Hillsdale does, in freedom to embrace their vocation to shape this world while knowing that our actions are a cooperation, a participation 
in a divine order mm-hmm. that becomes imminent through our actions, but never <laughs> puts us at the center of reality. Talking with Dr. Margarita Moody Suarez. I want to talk about your book, The Love of Learning, in just a minute. You mentioned vocation there. How would you describe the role of vocation in education? The term vocation, I use it, is akin to perhaps a more common word is a calling, right? What are your specific talents? And this is different than what skills do you have or where do you get the highest test scores? Because I'm talking more about an overflow of desire, right? What are the things that you get so engrossed in that you could spend all day doing and you're willing to put in the discipline to perfect? Is that writing political philosophy? Is that making art? Is that teaching? What are you going to dedicate your energy to excellence in? And that, I think, helps students realize that There's something particular for everybody. Education Mm -hmm. is supposed to give a general basis of education, but nobody, no teacher, no parent can ever tell you what is your vocation. A vocation is not a plan. It's not a retirement plan. It's not an investment plan. It's not a 12-step program, which you might need at some point in your life. I'm all good with that. It's a calling. It's an intuition. It's a response to what you sense you're being asked to do. And I've been very successful in my career, what people don't see is the times that I've been knocked down. Mm -hmm. I was denied tenure at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I was devastated, but I believed that I had a calling. And somehow I managed to say to my department chair, I stand behind the quality of what I do and I know why I do it. And if I can't do it here, I'll go do it somewhere else. To which he said, I never expected you to say that when I told you (laughs) you were denied tenure. And I don't know where that came from. But that's what keeps you going. Because I tell young people, you can't have a foolproof plan. Mm -hmm. You're going to get knocked down. Something's going to be taken from you unjustly. And of course that hurts. But you need to stand behind your vocation. And if you have a vocation, if you have a calling, you can look somebody in the eyes, even when they're treating you unfairly, and say, I believe in who I am, and I believe in what I do, and I'm going to get up. And so many students I've encountered don't have that confidence. Mm. And they should. Mm -hmm. If your education at Hillsdale or Yale at Princeton isn't giving you the confidence that you have a vocation that you're going to pursue no matter what, I think we've missed something. You're here on campus. One of your talks here on campus is about some of the mixed messages that women get about vocation. What are those messages generally? Where are they coming from? How can women combat them? Well... I was born and raised in Frederick, Maryland, with a mother who had come to the United States from Cuba in her 20s and a father from New York City. And they wanted me to believe that I could do anything the boys can do. I heard that again and again and again. And I pretty much believed it, except I couldn't compete with them athletically. I got beaten up all the time. And so one message women have gotten, which is an empowering message, is don't believe that there's any barriers to what you can do. And I would say intellectually, I think that's true. Though I also think, on the other hand, I get to Yale and then I hear a kind of, you know, pretty straight on feminist rhetoric, which began to reject the idea that men and women are even different, right? That in order to be a feminist woman, you actually, in some ways, were trying to act like a man, downplay your femininity, don't be touchy-feely, don't be emotional, be hyper-rational. And 
that kind of feminism that wanted to have a radical equality with men, which erases complementarity between men and women, never quite sat well with me. But some of it got into me. So I realized during my time teaching at Chapel Hill that I wanted students to look at me like I was a 65-year-old man (laughs) because I thought they gave them more authority. And the reality is they do. And I saw that. But then I realized that because they saw me for what I am, I had a different kind of authority, that students are more likely to give me moral authority Hmm. because I'm a woman and because they're looking for somebody to look at them as a whole person. And intuitively, men and women, it's been shown in many studies, expect female professors to care about them as a whole person. And I realized I was missing an opportunity to nurture young people because I was trying to pass myself off as a 65-year-old man, which is a difficult thing to do. (laughs) Um, The book, The Love of Learning, Seven Dialogues on the Liberal Arts, is your most recent work. What are these discussions that you're trying to have in here, and how do they get to the core of the love of learning? My recent book, The Love of Learning, Seven Dialogues on the Liberal Arts, is a series of conversations I had with scholars who practice the liberal arts in physics, in political philosophy, in a variety of different disciplines. And what I want this book to be is an assessment of where we are today in education. What are the big debates we're having, which for me are fundamentally are fundamental philosophical questions about what it means to be human and what is the human good. There's a segment of education that's narrow-minded, scientistic skills-based, which dumbs down our need for moral imagination, for uh, the formation of creativity. And then we have a kind of postmodernist, anti-essentialist, in philosophical terms, expressivity, that what it is to be educated is to get in touch with yourself Mm. as if there's no created order that we're discovering. And so it claims to be liberating, but it's eradicating the excitement of discovery because we can create anything we want. So it puts the human person at the center of all of reality, which is very dangerous. And so what I do in this book is I try to, in an accessible format through dialogue, which is an ancient form of scholarship, through dialogue, introduce readers to the longstanding debates between, for example, the pragmatist John Dewey and the Catholic philosopher Jacques Maritain on the end of education. Is it social progress or is it the formation of a free human person with a vocation? Then I introduce people to a debate between Paolo Freire, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, and Mm -hmm. Luigi Giussani, who both of whom care deeply about experiential education and dialogue, but they have a fundamentally different understanding of the human person. Mm -hmm. There's a short course based on the book coming out of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. The book is available for reading groups, and it's already been used for faculty development in colleges, high schools, and homeschoolers, because right now, because of what's happened in the past couple of years in education and politics, parents, students, teachers, faculty are asking this fundamental question, what is the end of education? Mm -hmm. And for me, the curriculum, such as that of Hillsdale, is relatively clear, but it's the how. How do we make this tradition of liberal arts education apply in a variety of different contexts, K to 12, college, different fields, people of different 
socioeconomic and ethnic backgrounds? And how does this universal tradition of the classical liberal arts become enculturated, become real? And by listening to people who practice this in public schools, in private schools, in Christian schools, in science, in philosophy, we see that there are exemplary educators who are doing this. And I hear from more and more of them. Scala aims to become a hub to bring together people who care about this. We're, we're working on another book. We have webinars going on. Please look up, you know, check it out. We're trying to be a resource for this burgeoning movement of classical liberal arts education. One final question for Dr. Margarita Moody Suarez. If we are able to uh, recapture this traditional liberal arts uh, education, would that do much to correct the current failings of the way now we largely educate students? Yes. The liberal arts education is a curriculum, but it's ultimately an understanding of the human person as created in the image of God, created for greatness, but fallen and in need of grace. And one of the things our educational system needs to do is educate us about who we are as human persons and empower us to follow our vocations while also giving us a perspective that ultimately we are liturgical creatures, creatures meant to worship. And education, culture, cult, needs to be brought back together. We need to put God at the center again and take the human person out, but use the best we have of our tradition to bring us into harmony with each other and harmony with the divine order. Dr. Margarita Moody Suarez, Associate Professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. She is Executive Director at the Scala Foundation. You can find more there at scalafoundation.org. And her most recent book, The Love of Learning, Seven Dialogues on the Liberal Arts. Dr. Moody Suarez, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Scott. More of our interviews and conversations on our SoundCloud page. Go to soundcloud.com, search for WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale. And I'm Scott Bertram on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM.